Welcome inside 254. Let's close the office door and start the conversation. Today's talk around the table is about toxic masculinity. So we're gonna need a quick primer on the difference between sex and gender so that we understand what masculinity means when we say that. Sex is biological traits, most often thought of as genitalia, but also chromosomes, hormones, those things, right? So sexed male, sexed female, intersex, those terms have to do with biology. Gender often has to do with construct. So when I'm talking about femininity and masculinity, I'm not talking about sex, I'm talking about gender. And that's a really important baseline when we are thinking about the idea of toxic masculinity, because it's not saying toxic manliness or toxic men. It's talking about the construction of masculinity formed around gender construction of maleness is what is toxic. So when people bring up toxic masculinity, very quickly somebody might get defensive and say that you're talking about men. And really, I think conversation like men being toxic. Right. And <laughs> it's not and it's not that at all. Right. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do about the ways we construct and talk about masculinity and then how those ideas about gender might play out on a sexed body that's male, but it doesn't have to be, right? Mm -hmm. Toxic masculinity is, is a brand of masculinity. It is not the only discussion about masculinity. Okay, like can it, you, yeah, can you give us, I guess, I don't know, I maybe can give a, you a, basic, definition. a basic yeah. definition. I can give you a definition of toxic from, masculinity. Yeah. So one that I work with uh, is from the Good Men Project, and they write, toxic masculinity is a narrow and repressive description of manhood, designated manhood as defined by violence, sex, status, and aggression. It's the cultural ideal of manliness, where strength is everything while emotions are a weakness, where sex and brutality are yardsticks by which men are measured, while supposedly, quote, feminine traits, which can range from emotional vulnerability to simply not being hypersexual, are the means by which your status as a, quote, man can be taken away. So mm. it is, it, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I, I feel that's a, that's a pretty... That's a pretty broad definition, mm -hmm. and it definitely transcends and goes beyond the idea of men picking up a gun and shooting up a crowd of people. I mean, and I think that's where we're seeing it a lot that's, in the media. That's toxic but, masculinity. It's most hyper. Right. Okay, but, that's the argument I would make. Right. But then this is sort of an everyday cultural Correct. phenomenon. Correct. So can you think, can we talk about maybe some examples that are more dialed back? Sure. Not so first, kill, going into a church and killing people, first, but dialed I wanna, back every day. First, I want to say that I think having conversations about toxic masculinity come out of deep love for men because it really, the idea about having a conversation about the construct of masculinity that is limiting in the way that the Good Men Project defines is that it wants to, uh, the conversations I want to have are how do we create more space for more ideas about what a man can be? What does manliness mean? And a great example would be a kid knocking over my daughter at, you know, in a playground when she's two, a little boy, and the mother says to me, oh, you know, boys will be boys. So that's, I think, the first moment of this idea of toxic masculinity that connects the idea of being a boy to the idea of being innate, innately or naturally violent. And my deep love for man 
yeah. is that I don't think that's true. That the, the, when you talk about, to when I talk about toxic masculinity, what I am doing is undoing this biological idea that one is innately or naturally violent in this case. I think that boys will be boys is a piece of crap. And I think boys are much better and more worthy of love and can be something other than violent. So, so it's limiting. To me, toxic masculinity is, is a limiting brand of masculinity. So it, toxic masculinity. Not to me, to, right. to scholars. But to so toxic masculinity is, it limits men's ability to have, to be a more complicated, full individual with a range of emotions and it, like accepted that men have a range of emotions. Like, is that, that men is might it, cry. That men right? might cry, and it's and okay. So and so, if you upset. think about, might, if you think about love and joy, and like, and they're, but when men publicly express those emotions, also they're called a pussy, right? right. They're immediately feminized. emasculated and feminized. Yeah. So toxic masculinity really breeds in that space that there is only one way to be a man, and the only access you're going to have to that is through violence, hyper agency sex right this idea of like getting some i can't tell you how many times i've had conversations with well i think kevin mahoney when he interviewed me on his his podcast mm -hmm. you know he talked about how growing up he was watching the he was like performing right this uh, this idea that you need to perform one brand of masculinity when maybe it doesn't match who you are but you feel like there's only one way to be a boy and only one way to become a man. And if you don't, you might be oh, a fag. Oh, you're a pussy, right? Like think of all the language that we have to emasculate men. They are, they are connected to sexuality mm -hmm. or to feminization. Right. So hypermasculinity is is a brand. It's not saying that this men are innately this way. And it's not saying that there's some man behind the curtain, like in The Wizard of Oz, who's plotting and planning on this. It's saying that throughout time, we have culturally come to represent toxic masculinity as this is the way to be a man. And I would argue that no one really used this term, but there was the feminist movement really tried to draw into to account toxic femininity, right? That there's only one way to be a woman. Nobody really called it that, but I'm starting to see that in the 60s and 70s and 80s and that sec first and second wave toxic femininity. But the reason that I think people didn't talk about it that way is because it was embodied and embedded within women's bodies. So like enacting mm -hmm. eating disorders mm -hmm. or, or, you know, or um, policing our own bodies, whereas toxic masculinity does seem to have an element of going beyond one's own body and out like into the world through violence. Vi external. Exactly. Like expressions. Okay. So this is why I think maybe, and I'm just mm -hmm. starting to think about this, but these one track brands of gender identity that are really coming into question now. So toxic masculinity is masculinity that is toxic okay it is a brand it is not saying i can't say this enough right gender and sex are two different things it is mm -hmm. not saying toxic men right it's not saying if you were born with male genitalia you are you are a toxic man correct like that's i feel like that when i see online trolls and when i see it on right-wing media and I, when i see even on my news feed my facebook feed i'm thinking like some of the men just don't fucking get it and like what is it that they're not this and makes I think sense it's, to me it, and, <laughs> well good what and we if anybody would ever listen <laughs> um yeah. but and again i think it's coming from a deep love for the men in our lives that we need to have the, the boys that we're trying to raise right like 
what does it mean? How do you rate? I was so relieved that I wasn't having a boy child. Mm. I mean, my child may eventually gender identify as male, but mm. because I was terrified of fighting the, I can, I know how to fight the the wave of you know Barbie and all that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to fight the wave of toxic masculinity that is putting a shirt on a two-year-old that says, all the girls want me, and stuff like that. You oh, know, like sexualize gross. it. Well, people that's think disgusting. that's cute. The argument oh. I get when I try to disrupt that yeah. is that it's cute. It's so, not cute. Okay, so, so that's so a very, so I'm gonna give you another other, example yeah, give me another. School. Give us another so example. in high school, a good yeah. example of this would be, you know, I'm walking down the hall, and this happened to me, and a boy would snap my bra, and then I would, tell on that person because that's completely inappropriate behavior and sexual harassment and be told well he's really doing that because he likes you so that is confusing because toxic masculinity doesn't call boy behavior into account because the idea there is well boys just naturally don't know how to express themselves so what they do is they hurt you because they don't know how to say they like you so that's toxic masculinity in like a high school setting okay what about is sexism men who are sexist is that a result of toxic masculinity or is it related yes um, well yeah i mean I'm that's a big question of, i could write a whole book I but go know. ahead i'm just go trying ahead. to yeah. think of like a specific like examples of you know men being i don't know i'm trying to think of like daily like in your work environment when can I'm i give you a hyper example yeah but i'm i'm trying okay. i'm trying to ground it in like some of the everyday stuff that women and men might see and experience and not realize that this is an example of toxic masculinity uh, denying women promotion because the work that they do is seen as gendered as you know like service on a campus for example mm-hmm. right that gendering that as the quote natural realm for women and not and valued meanwhile, as exactly and Got then it. meanwhile uh, you know men getting promoted at higher rates because they what they are seen Right, because they well, and because whatever they say is and great, and because they are seen then as like having power, right? So mm-hmm. finding ways to, um, I call it ghettoizing, but finding ways to like ghettoize femininity, things that are things that are seen as feminine, mentoring, okay. nurturing, mm-hmm. seeing that as less than, right? right? So to me, that's a brand of this idea that masculinity can be toxic and limiting. Okay, and give me yes. one more hyper example. Hyper a hyper example is, um, for example, the person who just killed women in California a few years ago and then wrote that manifesto, and he did it because other girls wouldn't date him. The idea that he is deserving, that women should date him, and because women didn't date him, he is going to just generalize and take down other women in the name of that. That is hyper toxic masculinity. And my argument is always because toxic masculinity is a, you can't hit the target. It's a losing game, just like femininity, right? Like, so toxic masculinity, you can't win. That's a, it's a losing game. And so that's gonna create a vacuum that needs to be filled by something. And we see that often filled by violence. We see it filled by gendered violence. We see it by, uh, you know, I would argue something that ISIS really takes advantage of. You don't feel like you're man enough. And so therefore, here's an opportunity where we will show you and let you feel man enough. Um, So these vacuums are created that are often filled in with violence because this trajectory of toxic masculinity is it can only be fulfilled when you have status. And status, if you can't get it through sex, if you can't get it through money, 
maybe you can attain it through violence. Got it. Okay, so that's good. Thank you. I feel like I've learned something here. So I know you have made this statement, and it is, I mean, you know, you make a lot of brilliant statements, but this is oh, not thanks. unusual. Um, the idea that it hurts, toxic masculinity hurts it's bad for everyone. It's men and women and, um, you know, people who identify as all different genders. So can you tell us why and how it hurts men and women? So I think the obvious for women is gendered violence. And mm -hmm. so uh, we're just going to move past that and talk about men. Mm -hmm. um, maybe a great thing that our readers could watch would be The Mask You Live In, which is a Netflix documentary. Mm -hmm. And in The Mask You Live In, it's talking with different sections, uh, d you know, different subsections of boys in high school, adults, athletes. Uh, and they all talk about how they felt like they couldn't actually express who they thought they could be or want to be, that they were denied a part of themselves, a part of their humanness, because they believed that a boy can't cry or a boy is not allowed to do this. Or in order to be blank, an athlete, you have to assert your masculinity and there's no space for anything else. So my argument and also i think it's bad for everybody because then when somebody tries to fill in that void in those deep moments where somebody is feeling like a failure and i think i would argue that everybody is going to feel like a fa failure in these rigged games that they'll take down anybody right i think if we look at what happened in the texas church that person was wanted to take down everybody and there was a connection to his mother-in-law mm -hmm. right so there's this this connection of like emasculation and then I will hyper masculinize in the sense of I'm just going to take this gun and shoot everyone that's in my wake. It's hyper toxic masculinity is bad for people because it doesn't differentiate and it doesn't always discriminate when it's enacting it gender wise. So, like that person didn't just walk in and shoot women, right? right? That sh women, children, men, like there so, was no discrimination based on gender once these these um, large scale violent m moments happen. Mm -hmm. So I I'm uh, one one thing I saw as a response to you know that tweet that you had made and a response that to this idea that toxic masculinity really hurts everybody. In the example with that Texas church shooting, um, I saw women online on Twitter specifically saying, well. What about the man with the gun who took the shooter down? So, I mean, I, I feel like that's a conflation, but that's something that the alt-right really loves to do. But it's, that, is a, that is a message and a narrative and a, and a pushback that I do see in many ways, but that's but that one was just an example. Right, so that was the individual act, right? When we're talking about masculinity or con gender constructs, we're talking about structural things. Mm -hmm. So that could have been a woman with a gun, right. too. I, I don't think that moment needs to be gendered. I think women and men carry guns. So who um, aren't... <laughs> who who don't subscribe to or fall prey to toxic masculinity? Who yeah, push back? Who 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 resist those who impulses? Who resist that? And it's it's a daily, I think, resistance. I think there's a, a level of self actualization required that uh, you know most children don't have yet, and child and teenagers might not have. Kids in college might not have. Maybe by the time, as an adult, you can eschew those gender norms, but I think that takes a lot of work and a lot of help. So just to end this uh, table talk then, what can we do, we, we you and me, re listeners, to resist toxic masculinity, to challenge it, 
and to change it, whether it's in the public domain or our own personal lives. I mean, what are what well, are I you look, seeing? Or I what look do you forward think? to getting the Nobel Peace Prize for figuring <laughs> that out. <laughs> but be, but just, I would I mean, say what I do in my daily life, yeah. daily life is I try. It's constant subversion of gender norms, constant pointing out of here is where this could lead. So maybe we shouldn't talk this way, right? Boys will be boys, for example. And have those expectations. I have those expectations mm-hmm. that people will not act that way. When they do, I will explain. To, I It doesn't feel good. It's really uncomfortable. But to have a conversation about why this is not okay, constant disruption, constant calling out of it, trying to live a life that creates a space and a model for what it can look like to not participate in toxic masculinity, but it's hard. I think as educators, we have a unique Mm. opportunity to Mm. have those conversations, which is why I'm writing about this for teaching tolerance, Mm -hmm. because I'm seeing the classroom as a space and literature as a space to really talk about authentic, and I don't know that I believe in an authentic identity, but at at least having the choice to cry or express an emotion and I mean, I'm thinking even down to the very common line of don't tell a man who's crying to man up. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I was literally, no, I was just going to say, never let the phrase man up or come you're into a your pussy. conversation. Exactly. Don't call men pussies. Right. Right. Don't emasculate men for showing any kind right. of emotion that isn't in the quote acceptable range. Like when range. people made I mean, like, fun of John Boehner for crying, that yeah. really annoyed me. Yeah. I was like, "Stop it! That's terrible." Here is a man <laughs> crying in public. Don't shame him. Right. And I think shame is very much wrapped into this. So that's something that we can all do. We like, can all do that. Never say "man up" to somebody mm-hmm. ever. Right. You know, immediately delete that from your vocab. Don't mm-hmm. ever say "boys will be girl- boys." Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't don't read boys are made of sugar. You know, I've never read that to my daughter. Mm-hmm. Don't call men pussies. Please for don't. Showing Just any kind that. of emotion. Or a fag. I'm or sorry that I'm using that word. Yeah, but, but that's don't. the other, that's mm-hmm. the other um, terrible word that is yeah. deployed against men when yeah. they show any kind of emotion. Yeah. And be supportive of the men in your life who are maybe taking steps to learn, who have asked a question, who seem skeptical, but... And maybe even sort of resistant, but yet they're listening. Right. I mean, Don't I have men in my shut life. Down. Who, Don't immediately yeah. shut somebody down no. if they ask a question. And right. that's the thing. You're going to get resistance from the men in your lives who really haven't bought into this idea or understand it. But if we keep saying it and we keep explaining it and pointing out examples and being loving when we're trying to explain, don't get angry when the men in your life go, oh, it, that's such bullshit. Okay. But that's coming from a very specific place. And so push through it, drop the ideas, just make the, say, hey, maybe you should read this or, hey, you know, here's an idea. I mean, keep disrupting. Like you said, I like that idea of constant disruption. And pull it's apart possible. sex and gender. Yeah. If we, if we start there, mm-hmm. if people start there, we might have a chance to, to really unpack this. But if you can't get there, if you can't get the difference between sex and gender with somebody, this conversation is only going to go to the place where you they think you're saying men are bad. And right. you're not, I'm not saying I'm not that, saying that either. when I talk about toxic masculinity no. at all. Mm-mm. I want the men in my life to feel safe yeah. and loved and emotional and and feel like they can be themselves. But you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. That's I'm thinking of very specific conversations that I've had in my world where in my life where 
there are men in my life where I can't get them past the differentiation between sex and gender that they literally think that sex and gender are the same thing. So it's so a challenge. Getting I mean, somebody I'm not, to that, if you yeah. want, you know, your question was how do we challenge <laughs> do we it challenge or change and it? resist it. Well, Pulling apart those two terms yeah. is a really great start and okay. teaching those two terms early on and putting using them correctly mm-hmm. in conversation is super important yeah, i like it that's good till next time till next time like what you're hearing become a patron of our podcast and help us be sustainable click that little green become a patron button on our podbean page and it'll get you started but here's the cool news There are three different patron levels that you can participate in to show your love and support of our hard work for you. A monthly commitment of just $1, which is less than the cost of a cup of coffee, gets you a large, cool, square sticker for your computer with our freshly designed logo, and you can share the love. For $5 a month, you get two stickers, a shout out on Facebook and on the podcast, plus our newest patron level of $8 a month, You'll get all the love and swag of the $1 and $5 levels, but also early access to every episode and expert extra. So join our patron team at this $8 a month level and be in the know before everyone else. All of your donations are greeted with our deepest gratitude. Thanks for keeping us sustainable. Time for... Trumpster Fire! Colleen, Amanda, we need to talk about how Trump is a good example of everyday toxic masculinity. Yes. So let's go back. <laughs> let's go back in time to uh, one of the debates in the primary. Okay. And this was a, this was a back and forth between Marco Rubio and Donald Trump. At a rally er, before this debate, Marco Rubio said, he's always calling me little Marco, and I'll admit he's taller than me. He's like 6'2", which is why I don't understand why his hands are the size of someone who is 5'2". And you know what they say about men with small hands, you can't trust them. Now, the insinuation is that he is a small dick, right? Mm -hmm. So then on the national stage, Donald Trump, put up his hands and he said, look at those hands. Are they small hands? And he referred to my hands. If they're small, something else must be small, which is not really what Marco Rubio said, but he insinuated it. He did. I guarantee you there's no problem. I guarantee. (laughs) So he's he's basically saying, no, my dick is huge because that's really the only thing that is is important. In a presidential run, it's my dick is big. What the fuck is that? That is toxic masculinity because that is saying (laughs) I have the right to power because of my physical manifestation of my masculinity. Like they weren't talking about ideas. Nope. They were talking about dick size. Dick size. As if that is part of the conversation. Toxic masculinity would think that that should be part of the conversation about somebody who's trying to have power. That is completely fucked up. Well, it's misogynistic. Yes. And that leads to our second example. Yes. With, well, first of all, well, the second example is another debate. Mm-hmm. The the weird close body, the, the weird way that Donald Trump kept, kept getting really close to HRC. And she oh, wrote about right. that. Yeah. She wrote about it and what happened yeah. and talked about, like, what am I supposed to do here? You know, she's trying to debate 
to be the president of the United States. And in her mind, she's like, do I yell at him and call him a creep? Do I ignore it? And just I remember on? that moment. I watched that we debate. Were tweet- we, yeah, we, we were, were like tweeting about we it. Were, like, what's happening? We were both tweeting and, and, and texting each other because I felt real. I was watching it and I felt from the privacy and comfort of my living room, I felt uncomfortable because we've all, all of us women have been in this situation where a man who's either your equal or in a power a position of authority is literally like coming behind you and like hovering over you and staring at you and just and it's extremely uncomfortable it's and violent they, and it's they violent. know that yes. that's why they do right. it so, so that's toxic masculinity okay. the idea yeah, that example. i am going to assert my physical prowess in your space to make you feel uncomfortable right domination as opposed to being equitable right like equity feminism works for equity there was Mm -hmm. no equity in that moment and here she is trying to debate and also at the same time thinking what am i supposed to do about this this terrible feeling that i am feeling so in that same debate then he calls her a nasty woman Mm -hmm. right so again this is toxic masculinity believes that you have to find agency through the demeaning of others, usually women. So demeaning her on the public stage, calling her nasty, and that's such a loaded term, right? Dirty, nasty, used slutty, up. used up, all those things are, were embedded Disgusting. in that yeah. uh, and played into that narrative of toxicity that associated with masculinity. Okay. Then the pussy grabber. I was going to go say, ahead. we got to yeah. talk about the Billy it's almost okay. like It's almost like a trite at this point. So let's talk about how that showed toxic masculinity. So there, there was a discussion of gendered violence, right? Grabbing yeah. women without consent. Yeah. But I want to talk about how we talked about that afterwards. Let me, let, can I, can I just really want to read. I want to read oh, exactly. Oh, yeah, I just put, it's like my I, daily reminder yes. on Facebook. <laughs> I want to read so that everybody fucking remembers what this asshole said. And I show it to my students when we talk about rhetoric every time. Yeah. So as an example of toxic masculinity and then what it led to, which he is now denying. I mean, he admitted it in the moment and the campaign and now he's denying he's it. Trying he's trying to backpedal. Yeah. He's backpedaling. But this is actually what he said caught on tape. Quote, I did try and fuck her. She was married. I moved on her like a bitch, but I couldn't get there. And she was married. Then all of a sudden I see her. She's now got the big phony tits and everything. She's totally changed her look. I got to use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the pussy. You can do anything. End quote. President, now president of the fucking United States said that. That is toxic masculinity, is it not? It is. Um... (laughs) And it's also gendered violence, which, which is a which comes out of toxic masculinity, a denial of consent, and and yes, thank you for making that overt. I want to make sure people understand that. Mm-hmm. Also, though, what I want to talk about is how everybody talked about it afterwards. Okay. So the toxic masculinity part to me is the that this was quote unquote locker room talk, the narrative that that became. Locker room talk, and I keep doing quotation marks. And I was mm-hmm. told on a TV show yeah. that that some you know a man said that to me. Why that's toxic masculinity is the idea that this is how boys talk in a locker room, mm-hmm. and it they should, and if they don't, they're not natural, 
right? There's They're something unnatural. Right. If you're a man and you think what that what Amanda just read is not okay, then I'm now questioning your manliness because that's how boys will talk in a locker room. This space, this all male space of a locker room. This is just what boys do. Right. So it, it question exactly. Yeah. I question the masculinity of any man who said out loud, this is not okay. Suddenly their manhood, not their masculinity, but their manhood was called into question. So while everything about that, what you just read, is absolutely toxic, mm-hmm. the what I think is even more interesting were the larger conversations afterwards that were about that that kept calling it locker room talk i i think i even put on my facebook feed at one point like say locker room talk to me one One more more time you did like i was (laughs) just like if one more person (laughs) uses the phrase locker room talk to me and what i loved were all the athletes who publicly came out and said i don't talk like that right in a locker room it was great you know big athletes Mm -hmm. and popular athletes and it's so to Mm -hmm. talk about disrupting this narrative of toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. they did it right right it it almost feels like men are the ones that are gonna have to do this they're gonna have to unpack this themselves and say no we do we are better than this do not assume all men talk this way I have, I give more, and that's, I think, what I said to the guy on the TV show. Like, I give more men credit. I give men more credit than than you do if you assume that all men talk this way right. as if they were sexual assaulters naturally. And one final example I, I was thinking of because Roy Moore in Alabama for the Senate race um, lost, but Trump did come out um, right toward the end of that last minute campaign with supporting him and of course, the Steve Bannon wing of the Republican Party, they were all in, but dude lost. So is there any anything about toxic masculinity in Trump's support of Roy Moore or the Roy Moore type? Two things. The Again, I think we'll, we can circle back to the boys will be boys, right? I saw there was a an interview with the guy who was ta- in, in Alabama. He held some position of power talking about how you don't know how many, you don't know how old girls are until... Uh, you ask their mamas, the insinuation that it is okay to take advantage of a young girl because young girls are tricking you is toxic. (laughs) That women are something to, that are manipulative, that women are nasty, that women are out to get you, that women will always lie. Like I loved part of the Time Magazine video, we can't all be sluts and liars. That line really stuck to me. Like we all, we can't all be sluts and liars. And the assumption is mm-hmm. that Trump and Roy Moore were making together mm-hmm. is that anyone who speaks up about this is a slut and a liar. That they don't have to say it because it is implicit. Mm-hmm. And a lot of toxic masculinity is that undercurrent. It's not overt, but it's the undercurrent of what a man is, what masculinity is, and then, sweet Jesus, it's like he wants me to write another motherfucking dissertation. <laughs> Roy Moore showed up on a horse. I know. Playing he literally into, rode the girl. Playing into, well, for me, it was playing into the Marlboro Man. Yeah. The, that, tough, the tough guy. That, like, tough guys, right? Yes. The G-U-I-S-E, the affectation of this toughness. The dude played into that. Like, I couldn't have even asked for a better thing to write an article about. Like, dude, 
what do you understand that you are playing into this trope but he he doesn't see it as playing into it he sees this as his only route it's like he had to do this hyper masculinized i'm in a western thing at the end as his last hail mary using his masculinity he waved a gun around at one of his rallies that's right that's right i forgot about that yeah yeah yeah. that's part of it too yeah i mean this this threat of violence this i have this gun and you better do what i say i mean it's that whole again implied but the messaging is there so hopefully the fact that we're talking about this we're encouraging our listeners to really think about how you see toxic masculinity and I, I think we've defined it pretty well in this I episode hope, and given and I'm some continuing to write about it yeah. it's, it's an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. and, um, can, and specific examples that we're talking about that are really kind of everyday type stuff yes it doesn't have to be the the hyper toxic masculinity no. people shooting each other right. it's literally like everyday stuff so just be more vigilant and really have your radar up and when you recognize it you're like oh I think that's Maybe have that conversation and, you know, go there and Here, try to disrupt. Right. Here's how it, on social media you could do, okay, let, here's how this, Christian Gildebrand, for example, like, yeah. here's how this is gendered. Yeah. Sometimes you have to really point that out and people mm-hmm. will see it then, right? And Trump, he is, he is a classic definition of toxic masculinity on two legs. Have I convinced you? Yes, you have. Good. And I, he is so many things that I dislike and this is just one more. <laughs> to me, it's it. To me, it's the end all and be all. It is the root of my distrust and dislike for him. Everything else in my mind that he does emanates from this morass of toxic masculinity that he has built his career upon and his political career upon. To me, this is the center of the problem, and the center of the problem. Everything he does emanates from that. The untouchableness that he can call code talkers and make you know use indigenous slurs in that moment to me that is all rooted in a toxic ideal of masculinity that one is untouchable that one finds uh their agency through violence through you know violence of language or violence you know physical or psychic language violence this is the central issue to me about donald trump so i guess we just get to keep seeing it Well, st- start watching with us, everybody. Yeah. Let's, let's like call it out. Call yeah. it when you see it. When you see it anywhere, re- retweet it, you know, share it on your social me- network feeds. And, and explain call, it. And explain it. Call it out. It's yeah. not acceptable. It's we, unacceptable. We must disrupt. We must change the narrative. We're not going to change him, but the rest of us can, we can work on the people that are in our lives. Yeah, we can change the narrative around it. Good idea. We dedicate ourselves to collective resistance. Resistance to the billionaire mortgage profiteers and gentrifiers. Resistance to the healthcare privateers. As I have said, and as I believe, the advancement of the full participation of women and girls in every aspect of their societies is the great unfinished business of the 21st century. And not just for women, but for everyone. And not just in far away countries, but right here in the United States. Thank you for understanding that sometimes we must put our bodies where our beliefs are. Sometimes pressing send is not enough. (laughs) 
if, if we want to give all of our children a foundation for their dreams and opportunities worthy of their promise, if, if we want to give them that sense of limitless possibility, that belief that here in America there is always something better out there if you're willing to work for it, then we must work like never before. This episode's fierce woman warrior is Dr. Nadia Richardson. Dr. Richardson was nominated as our fierce woman warrior this episode by Manita Bell, the senior editor for Teaching Tolerance, for the work that she does as the founder of No More Martyrs, a nonprofit organization and campaign based out of Birmingham, Alabama, that highlights mental health issues among black women which Monita says is too often ignored at large and definitely in this population. In her passionate guest post for AL.com, Dr. Richardson writes, quote, The handle it alone mentality especially is one that No More Martyrs, a mental health awareness campaign seeking to build a community of support for black women with mental illness, combats regularly. She goes on to say that one in five Americans suffers from a mental health disorder, but Only a quarter of African-Americans seek out professional care compared to the 40% of their white counterparts. Of that quarter, black women who seek out support or utilize mental health resources are an even smaller margin. As a scholar and mental wellness advocate of culturally responsive care, Dr. Richardson was motivated to take tangible action to reduce some of the stigma surrounding mental health care And so she founded No More Martyrs in memory of Four Brown Girls' Karen Washington, who was lost to suicide in 2014. No More Martyrs works to counteract the pattern of silent suffering with meetups and information sessions, an annual Minority Mental Health Awareness Summit in July, and the organization recently launched Mental Health First Aid Training, an eight-hour course that teaches participants how to understand and respond to signs of mental illness and substance abuse. Dr. Richardson's passion, advocacy, and action make her a fierce woman warrior, and she ends her AL.com piece with these encouraging words for all. Quote, nobody wants to see any more lives lost to mental illness. Do not suffer alone. You are not alone. For more information on Dr. Richardson's organization, visit nomoremartyrs.org. If you know a fierce woman warrior who is taking action in her community in some way, please send her name and information to us at inside254podcast at gmail.com or send us a private message through our Facebook page. And we will do the necessary research, reach out to this person, but this is not an interview segment. As you see, this is about amplifying women's advocacy and work in communities. So nominate a Fierce Woman Warrior today. Let's take a time out for a Media Minute. I recommend Naomi Klein's 2017 book, No Is Not Enough, Resisting Trump's Shock Politics and Winning the World We Need. I'm about halfway through, and it is living up to the promise in the introduction to be, quote, a plan for how, if we keep our heads, 
we might just be able to flip the script and arrive at a radically better future, end quote. Although the methodical way that Klein lays out how we got to this point, how our white supremacist patriarchal capitalist system led to Donald Trump's takeover of the White House, and exactly how dangerous his corrupt agenda is, including, quote, a corporate coup of government aggressive scapegoating and warmongering, as well as his dismissal of climate science and encouraging more fossil fuel drilling and development is depressing, to say the least. But a necessary walk back through all of the pieces that led to our current puzzling reality. She is also decidedly pro-Bernie Sanders, although she does use a more balanced tone when speaking about Hillary, which will be appreciated by HRC supporters. Klein writes that Trump's goal is, quote, all-out war on the public sphere and the public interest, whether in the form of anti-pollution regulations or programs for the hungry. In their place will be unfettered power and freedom for corporations, end quote. In the section titled, what conservatives understand about global warming and liberals don't, she writes about how profitable neoliberalism is as a set of ideas instead of as an ideology. Quote, what it really is at its core is a rationale for greed. She also reminds readers in the racial capitalism section that, quote, our modern capitalist economy was born thanks to two very large subsidies, stolen indigenous lands and stolen African people. Part three goes into how it could get worse, the shocks to come, and part four lays out how things could get better, where Klein uses Argentina and Spain as examples of when Blitzkrieg-style shock tactics backfire in places, quote, where there is strong collective memory of previous instances when fear and trauma were exploited to undermine democracy, end quote. So, amongst all the bad news <laughs> are clear signs of hope for those of us who are trying to keep our heads, resist Trump and his agenda, and change our nation for the better. We have a mountain to climb together to overcome Trump, and Klein's book provides an idea roadmap for us to study, consider, learn from, and then use as a jumping off point for our own actions. Let's end today's podcast with some activist actions. The first thing you can do is, even though Twitter can be a cesspool, you can go and follow the hashtag MeToo um, movement and see what other people are writing about their stories of harassment, assault, and see what people you know are putting out and sharing on their social media. Think about how to be an ally in your daily life. I really love something that Courtney Martin wrote, and it's called For Guys Reading Hashtag Me Too Testimonies. And I would really encourage everybody to go and read this piece, and we'll link to it. I'm going to give you some highlights here. And it really is to the audience of men who are reading these hashtag Me Too testimonies and really sitting with, for the first time, the amount and number of women that are coming forward in their own lives. So these are just a few things that she suggests you do from her essay. First, read the hashtag MeToo stories on your Facebook or Twitter feed. And then I love this. Do nothing. Sit in silence. Don't say anything. Don't retweet anything. Don't text anyone. Just sit there. Maybe even close your eyes. 
feel what you feel. Feel the sadness of living in a world like this. Don't soothe it with thoughts of your own exceptionalism. Don't jump to perform your love of women. Don't talk about your mother or your sister or daughter. Just sit. Feel the feelings. She goes on to encourage you to feel this pain that you are feeling and to then move closer to your own confusion and earnest desire to understand the sickness at the center of contemporary masculinity, a bit of which, at least a bit of which, you too are suffering from. Reflect on how it might be showing up in your home, in your workplace, in your school, not just as harassment or assault, as arrogance, as obliviousness, as narcissism, as domination. She encourages men to journal, to sit with these feelings, and then, and only then, she writes, gather with other men and have incredibly awkward conversations about the feelings that are arising in this moment, in these explorations. Model what it looks like to say hard things in front of other dudes. And this is something that as I step away from her words, Thinking about that Me Too movement, really sit and honor and acknowledge the courage that it took for every person who wrote one of those to come out of the shadows and how awkward and uncomfortable it was for them. And now the requirement is on you if you want to be an ally to feel discomfort. She finishes her essay saying, don't do this for your daughters and wives and mothers. Do this for your sons. Do this for yourselves. Don't use an apologetic tone in a women's studies class. Use an unapologetic tone at the bus stop or at your book club or around the Thanksgiving dinner table or yes, on Facebook. Take it personally together. Consider it urgent together. One of the delusions that privileged people often have is that we can fix things efficiently and alone. Know this, you cannot fix this. The journey will not be efficient. You cannot go it alone. Something we talk about so much on this podcast is individual and structural. Individually, you can feel these things, but if you don't do anything to change the structure, nothing is going to happen. That is why I love that she writes, you cannot go it alone. Finally, the essay ends with a world this riddled with sexual harassment and abuse will never be healed by a hashtag, that's for sure. Yet this moment could be the first one that you choose to do something different, to lay the first brick in a world that is built differently, a world safe for women's bodies and men's feelings, a world worthy of everyone's wholeness. I hope you will go and read this entire essay and sit and think about how you can be an ally and accomplice and work towards structural change that the Me Too movement began. Thanks for spending time with us inside 254. You can find us a lot of places online. On Facebook, we're at Inside 254 Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Inside 254 Pod. On Instagram, we are at Inside 254. And on WordPress, where we post links and places that you can go to donate or learn more about our activist actions, we're at Inside254Site, S-I-T-E dot WordPress dot com. You can find our free episodes on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, and you can also just Google us. There are two things you can do to help us build audience today. You can go onto Facebook, click one of those stars, and leave a comment as feedback, 
And then you can go to your listening platform and rate us on there as well. By doing those two things, that's going to get our word out and help us build our audience. Thank you for helping us grow.